Well, my name is Adam, and it's great to have you with us, whether you're in the building or the many uh, who are joining us online. We're going to turn our attention to God's Word now, and when everything around us seems to be shaking, God and His Word is a sure foundation and a solid refuge for us. And today, we come to the fourth beatitude. So far, we've looked at the poor in spirit, we've looked at the mourners, the meek, and today we come to the hungry and thirsty. And I wonder, can you remember a time in your life when you were really hungry or really thirsty? Can you remember what it felt like? I've shared with you before about the time back in 2016 when I was in the United States in San Francisco. And I'd been told what you must do in San Francisco is hire a bike and ride across the Golden Gate Bridge. Thought it sounded like a good idea, but I thought if I'm going to do that, well, I want to see a little bit of San Francisco and the city and the surrounds at the same time. And so I found a bike hire place and I told this guy I wanted to see a bit of the city and the surrounds as well. He pulled out a map, he recommended a route that I could take, but to me, the route looked a little bit short and a little bit easy. And so I said, well, what about if I go down through the park and then along the water and then up and over those hills and down to the bridge, across the bridge, back through the city and and, and back to Fisherman's Wharf? And he said to me, he said, well, that's a pretty long way and those hills are really steep. Now, I thought to myself, I was about in my late 20s at the time, I thought, how hard could it really be? I'm young, I'm relatively fit, I'll be fine. And I think you know how the story ends. At first it was all, you know, really nice. It was downhill through the park. It was flat along the water. But then I hit the first of these hills. And if you've been to San Francisco, you know that these are real hills. I ended up slogging up and down these hills. I was on the side of main roads. I went through golf courses and residential estates. I went over the Golden Gate Bridge and back again. I went through the heart of the city, almost being run over by trams and cars and, bike and other cyclists. I was gone for hours and hours before I finally made it back to Fisherman's Wharf. And as I arrived, the, the bike shop was just about to close and the sun was going down. And I had not eaten anything throughout this time. I I'd barely had anything to drink. I had a half full water bottle with me this whole time. And so I was starving. And so the first thing I did after I dropped the bike off, I was walking down the main drag looking for somewhere to eat. And it didn't take long before I saw this in front of me in all of its glory. In and out burger. Never had it. It's amazing. And I went in, I ordered the biggest burger on the menu and then washed it down with about 10 litres of Dr. Pepper or something like that. Now, I'm sure that you're not as stupid as I am, but I'm sure that you've had a time in your life when you were really hungry and really thirsty. And the reason I bring this up is because today in the fourth beatitude, Jesus talks about hunger and thirst. But he's not talking about physical hunger and thirst. He's talking about something deeper. He's talking about spiritual hunger and thirst. He's talking about our hungry hearts and our parched souls. 
He's talking about our longing for meaning and satisfaction, our desire for significance and love. Really, he's talking about our hunger for God. Augustine, the the great uh, theologian, he famously said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And this is the human condition. We are restless. We are unsatisfied. We are hungry and thirsty. And we try to satisfy our hunger. We try to quench our thirst with all different kinds of things. It might be our job climbing the ladder. It might be our toys, the things that we buy. It might be sex or relationships or food and drink or even just our families. We look to all kinds of things to satisfy our deep, spiritual hunger. And it's not that these things are bad things. They're good things. They're good gifts from a good God. But they do not satisfy our deep spiritual longing. In fact, when we try to force them to satisfy our spiritual thirst, we not only distort the gifts, but we actually damage ourselves. And this is what makes Jesus' promise today in Matthew chapter 5 so profound. Because today, Jesus promises to satisfy our spiritual hunger. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, not for for money or homes or, or sex or happiness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because where does it lead? Satisfaction. Jesus says, you will be filled. This is an incredible promise, and this is what we're looking at today. And we're in a sermon series at the moment, working our way through the Beatitudes, the eight sayings that Jesus gives us that describes life in God's kingdom, where Jesus describes what it means to be truly blessed, to be truly happy, to lead a truly beautiful life. Now, as we've seen so far, Jesus' list is not what you would expect. So far, Jesus has said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Now, poverty, mourning, and meekness are not what normally come to mind when we think about being happy. And today, Jesus adds hunger and thirst to the list. It's not exactly the greatest marketing campaign, is it? But we need to remember what Jesus is doing. See, he's not describing life in this world. He's describing life in the kingdom of God. And though Jesus' list sounds odd on the surface, there is a very clear and beautiful logic to it. It begins with recognizing that we are poor in spirit. Because when you recognize your poverty before God, when you realize you're empty-handed before him, it leads you to mourn over your condition, to be brokenhearted over your brokenness, which leads you to be meek to be humble before God and to be gentle with others, to hand over control of your life to God, which gives you a new appetite. You begin to hunger and thirst, not for those things that made you mourn, but for those things that lead you to life and to God. You see, what Jesus is really doing in these first few Beatitudes is he is describing the process of becoming a Christian. He's describing the process of salvation. He's painting a picture of true Christianity. In fact, 
Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Welsh minister, he says, what do you think about this verse in particular, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6? It is a great test as to whether you're a Christian or not. He says it's a great test as to whether you've entered the kingdom of God. I mean, what do you think about this verse? About hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Does that seem a little bit weird to you? Does it seem foreign to you? Or or, or, or deep down, do you long to know God more? Deep down, do you desire to to, want to obey God more? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Now, why would Lloyd-Jones say this? Why is this verse so important? Why is it a good test if you're really a Christian? Well, the answer is because this new appetite, this hunger and thirst for righteousness, it is a sign of new life. It's a sign of a new relationship to God. I mean, what's the first thing a newborn baby does after it's born? Apart from screaming their lungs out, they eat. And this is a good sign because it's a sign of new life. And it's the same when we become a Christian. When we enter into a new relationship with God, we begin to develop a new appetite. We begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this is why it's so important that we understand what Jesus is saying to us in this beatitude. I mean, what does it mean to hunger and thirst? What exactly is righteousness? And what does it mean that we will be filled? These are important questions that we're going to look at today. And we'll begin with question number one. What does it mean to hunger and thirst? Now, first of all, notice what Jesus does not say in this verse. He does not say, blessed are those who have achieved righteousness. Blessed are those who have earned righteousness. He doesn't even say, blessed are those who are practicing righteousness. Now, that's not to say that practicing righteousness doesn't matter. It matters very much, as we'll see in a moment. But this is not where Jesus begins. Jesus doesn't begin with our actions. He begins with our hearts. He begins with our desires. He begins with our longings, because this is exactly where the Christian life begins. It doesn't begin with external behavior. It begins with internal transformation. I mean, this was the great promise in the Old Testament. Do you remember what God said through the prophet Ezekiel? He said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Think about it this way. Imagine you are an old, beat up, broken down car. Now imagine God comes along to restore you. God doesn't begin with the exterior. He doesn't begin by giving you a new paint job or by giving you a new set of alloy wheels. He begins with a new engine because without a working engine, you're not going to go anywhere. It doesn't matter how good you look on the outside. And this is what God does for us. He doesn't begin with a new paint job. He begins with a new engine. He gives us a new heart with new desires. And this is really the big difference between empty religion and genuine Christianity. Empty religion is outside in. It's focused only on the exterior. 
But genuine Christianity is inside out. It flows from out of our hearts. I mean, this is what the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, this is what they got so wrong. They were focused on the external rather than the internal. And Jesus had some pretty strong words for them. Jesus says to them in Matthew 23, he says, woe to you, which is really the opposite of of blessing. He's saying, cursed are you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Why is Jesus so angry with them? You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. See, God wants to change us from the inside out, because this is exactly what we need. We need new hearts that want to know God, and this is exactly what Jesus came to give us. Again, the Bible describes this in a few different ways. Jesus says in John 3, it's like being born again. It's like receiving new life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, when we come to Christ, we are a new creation. Different words, but same idea. When we come to Christ, he makes us new. He gives us a new heart with new desires. We receive a new appetite. We begin to hunger and thirst. The question is, though, what do we begin to desire? What is it that we begin to hunger and thirst for? And this leads us to our second question, which is, what exactly is righteousness? Now, this is not a word that we really use in daily life, is it? I mean, if we do use it, it's normally self-righteousness, which is not exactly complimentary. But righteousness is a massive word in the Bible, shows up from beginning to end, and it's used in a number of different ways, which means it's hard to define simply and succinctly. But let me give it my best shot. Righteousness is right relationship, which leads to right living. Righteousness is right relationship, which leads to right living. This is the essence of righteousness. And it begins with right relationship. To be righteous simply means to be in right relationship with God. Now, how do we enter into right relationship with God? Well, the answer of the Bible from beginning to end is not through our law-keeping, not through our obedience, not through our goodness, but rather by faith. And, And I could show you so many different examples of this from the Bible, but just think about Abraham back in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. Now, you might say, wait, even in the Old Testament... I thought the Old Testament was all about law-keeping. No, the way to a right relationship with God, it's always been by faith. You see, this is what we see in Genesis 15. God makes a series of amazing promises to Abraham, and this is what we read in response. Abram, as he was known then, believed the Lord. He, He put his faith in God and in God's promises, and God credited it to him as righteousness. In other words, God declared him to be righteous, to be in right relationship with him. Why? Because Abraham put his faith in God's promises. Same thing we read in the New Testament, Ephesians 2 verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved. Now, how do we access this grace? Through faith. 
Or Romans 1 verse 17, the, the verse that kind of sparked the Reformation. For in the gospel, the, the good news about Jesus, the righteousness of God is revealed. In other words, the way to a right standing with God is revealed. And what is this way? It's a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The way into a right relationship with God is by faith. This is where righteousness begins. It is a gift from God to be received by faith. And this is incredible. This is the best news in the world. This is where righteousness begins. But this is really important. This is not where righteousness ends. Because righteousness is right relationship, which leads to right living. Now, there are some relationships that just change your life, aren't there? When I got married, it changed my life. When I had a child, it changed my life. Three times. There are some relationships that change our lives. How much more when we enter into a relationship with the God of the universe? This is a relationship that reorders your life totally. No one meets the living God and stays the same. And if you do, it's probably indicative that you haven't met the real God because right relationship leads to right living. Now again, this is the dynamic we see right throughout the Bible. Think about the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. When did God give Israel the Ten Commandments? Did he come to them when they were in slavery in Egypt? And did he say, well, this is my law. This is how I want you to live. This is what I want you to do. And when you've proven that you can do it, then I will rescue from slavery. Then I will deliver you. It's not what God did. God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He rescued them. And then, and only then, did he say to them, now that you have been rescued, now that you belong to me, this is how I want you to live. Because right relationship leads to right living. It's the same in the New Testament. Ephesians 2, which we read just a moment ago, it tells us in verse 8 that we're saved by grace. We have a relationship with God that's received as a gift through faith. But here's what verse 9 doesn't go on to say. So sit back, kick back, relax, do whatever you want, live however you please. Now it goes on to say, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Right relationship leads to right living. This is always the order in the Bible. And of course, when I say right living, I don't mean perfection. Just hear that for a moment and maybe just take a breath. The Christian life is not a life of perfection, at least not on this side of eternity. But it is a new heart with new desires which steadily and gradually take you in a new direction. And this is what Jesus is saying to us here in Matthew 5 verse 6. He's saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger for a right relationship with God and for right living before God. Blessed are those who long to know God and to please God. 
who long to, to be right with God and to do right before God. Or as D.A. Carson puts it, the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness hungers and thirsts for conformity to God's will. He is not drifting aimlessly in a sea of empty religiosity. Still less is he puttering about, distracted by inconsequential trivia. Rather, his whole being echoes the prayer of a certain Scottish saint who cried, I love this, O God, make me just as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. O God, make me just as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. This is the cry, this is the desire, this is the hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now the question is, what does this look like in practice? What does this look like in our lives? Well, a little later in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6, Jesus says this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these other things will be added to you. In other words, to hunger and thirst for righteousness means to make it a priority. Isn't this what we do when we're really hungry and thirsty? I mean, when I delivered the bike back at San Francisco and started to walk down the street, I wasn't wandering aimlessly. I wasn't kind of just looking around at the different shops. I was looking for one thing and one thing only, a burger joint. And this is, must be our attitude when we're pursuing righteousness. It must be a priority for us. It must be urgent for us. This doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I mean, we're going to have to fight laziness. We're going to have to fight busyness. We're going to have to fight distraction. We're going to have to put our phones down occasionally. We're going to have to turn our screens off occasionally. We might even have to get out of bed earlier or do whatever it takes because we will not just kind of float towards righteousness. It's going to take us, it's going to take some grace-driven effort Or as what I heard another pastor say this week, he said that when it comes to hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we need to starve what needs to die and feed what needs to grow. We need to starve what needs to die and feed what needs to grow. So let me just ask you, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you desire to to be right with God and to do what is right before God? Do you desire to please God and to obey God? Are you being shaped by the grace of God? Is it seeping into the cracks in your life, into your marriage, into your family, into your wallet, into your thought life? Is it changing you from the inside out? Listen to me. I'm not asking, are you nailing it? Are you doing everything perfectly? I'm asking, do you want this? Do you want to know God more? When you sin, does your heart cry out to God, God, I don't want this. I don't want to do this anymore. I want you. I want to know you. Please help me, forgive me, change me. Maybe you're a Christian and you can remember a time when you hungered for God. But if you're being honest, it hasn't been that way for a while. It might be that you've gone through a really difficult season 
and suffering and pain has obscured the face of God in your life. Or maybe you've stopped hungering and thirsting for God because you've been gorging yourself on other things. You've been filling yourself on junk and it's ruined your appetite. This is God's invitation to you through the prophet Isaiah. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? God's invitation to you, wherever you find yourself today, is to come. And God's promise to you is lasting satisfaction. Which is also what Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 5, verse 6. And it brings us to our final question, well, what does it mean to be filled? Because here's what Jesus says. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, have you ever sat down to eat a meal and by the end of it, you said something like, I could not eat another bite. Now, what happens a few hours later when someone comes along and they maybe offer you a little bit of chocolate? Oh, yeah, I guess I could eat that. The idea of being filled is elusive to us. We eat and we get hungry again. We, we buy something, we want more of it, or we want a newer version of it. But Jesus says to us today, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, to know God more, then you will be filled. You will be satisfied. And Jesus, of course, is looking ahead to that day in the future when he will return, when he will make all things new, when he will usher in what 2 Peter 3 describes as a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is our future, a world fully alive to God, a world filled with the glory and the goodness of God, where we'll be totally and utterly satisfied. But of course, there's also a sense in which we're filled with righteousness right now, because the moment we place our faith in Jesus, we are filled with His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, at the cross, there is a great exchange. Jesus, the sinless one, absorbs our sin and he fills us, the sinful ones, with his righteousness so that when God looks at us, he sees a forgiven sinner He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And this is why when Jesus walked on this earth, he claimed to be able to give us living water. He claimed to be the bread of life. Because he and he alone can give us what we need to stand before God, to have our spiritual thirst satisfied both now and and forever. And this is true for anyone who will come to Jesus. And this is why the Bible ends with this incredible promise in Revelation 22. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. 
And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you, through the work of your Son, have satisfied our deep spiritual hunger and quenched our deep spiritual thirst. We can now freely come before you, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done for us. Lord, you have brought us into a right relationship with yourself and and called us now to right living before you for the good of others and the glory of your name. And Lord, there's some of us here today, listening today, we would say, I used to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I used to hunger and thirst for God, but if I'm, I'm being honest, I don't anymore. Suffering has hidden God's face or I've been filling up on junk or it hasn't been a priority for me. Lord, by your spirit, Help us to step into all that you have for us. Lord, renew our appetite so that we begin to hunger and thirst for what satisfies you and your word. Lord, do a new and renewing work in our lives today. Lord, maybe there's others listening in who would say, I have never hungered and thirsted for God. Well, the invitation from you today, Lord, through your word to these people is come. Come, receive the free gift of the water of life. Lord, we are not, you are not the ones holding out on us. We are the ones holding ourselves back from you. And so we want to heed that invitation and we want to come today to receive all that you have for us through the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.